I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, I am so fucking excited about this conversation uh, with our friend Andrew, who is not only uh, here to join us to talk about everything that uh, he does, but Andrew, you, th- this all came together through a uh, our our monthly Patreon hangout. You're, first of all, thank you. You're a patron of ours. It means the world to us. Uh, this podcast wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for supporters like you. Um, you're in rarefied air in terms of our appreciation. You're on a you're in a different you're, yeah you're yeah. in a different tier. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're, in a you're different God tier. level. I mean, yeah. we like everybody. We like everybody who listens. But we love we patrons. Love. And so, just for context for folks who don't know, uh, once a month we have this Patreon hangout where uh, all of our patrons are welcome to join us on a Zoom call, and um, we're always joined by by the lovely folks in our community that that can be found on our Discord and on our Patreon, where we just hang out. We just hang out and chat, like shoot the shit. And, really fun. and, uh, Andrew, I hope it's okay that I say this. I'm, maybe I'm throwing you under the bus here, but you called from a, from a, it looked like you were in a fucking ambulance and you had, you had a stethoscope around your neck. And I was like, are you, are like, it was the first time we met you. And we were like, Andrew, welcome. What's with the, what's with the ambulance, are dude? You at work? Yeah. And you were like, oh, <laughs> just like, cosplay. Just, just finishing my, my shift here. And, uh, and I'm a, I'm a paramedic. And we started talking about your work. And, it got really. Into, I mean, you you fascinated us with with the fact that you're a paramedic, but also your the research that you do. I should give you a, a proper intro. Andrew is a, a graduate student researcher at the University of New, Northern British Columbia and a paramedic for British Columbia Emergency Health Services. And so we thought, why not get you on the show to talk about the work that you do, the importance of uh, emergency health services, the importance of paramedics. And uh, it was also really funny because we were just finishing like the the Patreon call and we weren't sure if you were just finishing your shift or if you were in the middle of working, but you muted yourself for a second and then it looked like you were talking to a person of authority and we were like, he's getting fired right now. (laughs) So really what we wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about is did you get fired? We wanted to clarify that for the people who were there. Did you get fired that night? No, no, I did not. (laughs) Uh, Thank God. Andrew, uh, I guess we'll get this out of the way first. Paramedic, uh, paramedics, right? Um, uh, and maybe you can clear this up. I mean, I think I think most of the world knows paramedics are essentially um, glorified taxi drivers, right? Is that correct? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that. Th- thank you for having me on the show. It's it's thank a privilege. You. It um, I've been listening to you guys for a better part of four years, um, and yeah, this is a, a amazing opportunity. Um, but yeah, and thank you for the introduction. Um, paramedics are not taxi drivers (laughs) um 
we're not ambulance drivers. Um, we're not anything like that. Paramedics are paramedics. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's important that, you know, there is still a little bit of that stigma around like, oh, paramedics are my free ride to the hospital. And we get, yeah. you know, pushed right through emerge and everything's happy and wonderful and you get seen right away. But no, that's, that's really not the case. So paramedics, you know, the world of paramedicine has expanded so much in the last, I would say, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really plays into my research, what I'm doing, but, you know, just to give you a little bit of a perspective. So, you know, I I work in British Columbia. So British Columbia is a little bit of a different system because our ambulance service is provincial. We do not have a private ambulance service. We're not contracted, nothing like that. We are under the provincial government and we function um, within this organization that encompasses Um, you know, regular ground ambulances, advanced care, critical care transfers, community paramedicine, community outreach, like there's so many factors within this. Mm. And we take care of everything in regards to emergency calls, interfacility transfers, everything like that. And really our scope and level of practice is expanded like so much recently. Mm. And, you know, for instance, community paramedicine. These are paramedics that are trained that that are regular emergency paramedics, but have another level of training that then engage almost in like primary care in the community. Right. So they're doing home visits, they're doing health promotion, they're doing community engagement. So Andrew, I'm not sure if you know what the if you can answer this question or not, but I was thinking of the word uh, paramedicine or paramedics and that root para. I'm curious to know um, what sort of context that is in. And the reason why I'm asking this question is because I was recently reading about the Paralympics and I thought um, Paralympics, the Paris stood for like, uh, like paralyzed or like it mm. was in reference to somebody's ability, but I actually found out that it, it means para as in uh, equal, like as in parallel. Mm. And so it's equal to the Olympics, but for people with different uh bodies or abilities Mm -hmm. Um, so i that's really interesting which i didn't didn't know know, and i I thought it was more about oh paralyzed olympians there's also paralegal right yeah so do you like with paramedicine what what does the para mean to be honest with you i i couldn't tell you exactly we should google that there's (laughs) i don't know i've always thought of it maybe as like paramilitary um because paramedicine really was grounded in paramilitary or, or military kind of roots okay. um, around military medics. That's, that's kind of some of the history that I've gathered on it. But to be honest with you, I don't, I don't fully know. Like, par- I, I, like I think paratroopers. I, I think, I, yeah, probably par- like, yes, <laughs> probably like paratroopers. I think there's probably a strong connection to paratroopers. I, I mean, when you, when you give that, when you give that, uh, that, that definition, Brian, of how the Paralympics are, they run parallel. Like it probably, I, I, I would probably see it in the, I think of it because the the comparison that I draw to para, to paramedicine and paramedics is is in the legal field of paralegal and that 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 there's like that there's kind of this like maybe this like tighter circle that encompasses like law or medicine and then there's like but then there's just like so much that expands out from that that is that in, that is included in the work of like you know I, I mean like in medicine I mean you think about the hospital like when you think about illness injury you think hospital. And then, I mean, this is total fucking conjecture and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but then, Welcome to Sick Boy Podcast. Yeah, but, then, <laughs> but then you expand out from that and it's like, well, like illness and injury doesn't just 
like doesn't only occur and happen at the hospital. It's happening everywhere. And then you need like a system. Dude, like, that's a, a really, that sounds so smart. A support <laughs> system that expands outward from that and that handles that. I mean, and then, and well, I mean, as a paramedic, that is, that is by and large or broadly speaking, what, you know, what you do is like, you are basically in charge of, you know, manning the station of all the, of all the shit that goes down outside the walls of the hospital to bring, to bring the people that need the, the attention of the hospital to, to bring that them to it. Well, here's a, here's a question you might, might be able to answer. Andrew. Thank you, Brian. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there, when I think of, when I think of ambulances and, and like emergency medicine, um, I, the word paramedic, comes to mind the word EMT, like the, 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 the acronym EMT comes to mind. Is there a difference between what an EMT is and what a, what a, what you do as a, as a paramedic? Is there a difference between those two things? Yeah. So very much that, that whole, the terminology around it is based on your license level. Um, okay. and, and that like EMT is very much in the States. Um, it whereas in Canada, most of our paramedics are primary care paramedics. And then we have advanced care paramedics, critical care paramedics, um, and an infant transport team, which is, that's BC specific. Um, but most paramedics in Canada are considered paramedics. They're um, primary care. Okay. And then kind of below that, there's the emergency medical responder, um, first responder here in BC, at least. Mm. Um, and that's more for, like first responders are firefighters who, who have that medical training. Um, that's how I got started in this um, as, as a first responder in fire. Um, and then transitioned into the paramedicine role. Right. So, when you have yeah. all of those like different, um, you know, levels of training and then, you know, of course, as calls come in, different mm-hmm. needs need to be met for different people in different situations that are occurring. Um, is, you know, does you, does the typical, uh, obviously you're speaking from the context of BC and, 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 you know, maybe it's similar and I'm, I'm sure different in different ways in different provinces, but speaking from the context of BC, you know, is there a, what are some of the issues and the complications that arise um, in terms of like the ability to send the type of person with the type of training that's needed for the situation that arises? Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's like a lot of what BC has done. So the primary um, delivery of care in BC is what we would call basic life support, BLS. Um, care. So that would be a primary primary care paramedic or EMR, emergency medical responder care paramedic level ambulance. And that is the majority of ambulances in our province. And then within bigger city centers, um, so basically, you know, like where I live here in Prince George, um, there is one um, advanced life support ambulance. But in a lot of these rural areas, like where I work, there is no advanced life support available other than by air. Mm-hmm. So BC Emergency Health Services has um, like recently, just I think it's about a year ago now, they purchased a helicopter that's based here in Prince George that can fly advanced life support or critical care paramedics, which are basically ICU nurses out to us. Wow. And they have an wow. incredible response time to, to, you know, to really critical incidences. And as well, now what they've also done with the community paramedicine program is they're rolling out, they, they're finishing up a trial now of advanced um, 
advanced care paramedic, community paramedics. There's a bit of a mouthful for you. <laughs> ACPCPs. So these guys, they're, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are, I believe there's eight communities in total that were trialing this, where they would put a lone responder advanced care paramedic in the community, and then they could offer services well beyond what a regular community paramedic could, or even a paramedic. So like the really cool thing was, is that they were very engaged with the hospital. So let's say there needed to be like a critical patient came in, patient needed intubation. They would call the advanced care paramedic to come in, do the intubation on the patient, because a lot of these doctors, they're just GPs. They don't, they don't, they're not intensivists. Whereas paramedics are trained in doing that, the advanced care guys. Oh, so they cool. would come in, do it. And yeah, it was, it's a super cool program. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's put you in the hot seat here and, and do like kind of rapid fire. Okay, um, I, got, because, I, got, I got the first one. If an ambulance is driving with its lights on, <laughs> is there an, a chance that they're just trying to avoid traffic? No. <laughs> uh, there are that's so the many type of legalities question, right? around that. That's not, that's not the type of question I was going for there, Brad. But uh, what, I, what I was going to go for is, bad question. Uh, you know, you, you had said that, that paramedicine uh, is, is much more than just um, hospital transport, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and you've, you've laid out a, a number of... of roles that that paramedicine kind of falls under and some of these roles are, some of these things are, are things that i've heard before but I, but i don't actually know exactly what they mean um mm -hmm. so so i i kind of want to just like like rifle through them and and get your take on on what each of these things mean in general so the first one is uh community paramedicine what is what is community paramedicine yeah. So a little brief history on community permits. And I think this was really cool. Um, so that's what my research is on. So mm. I did my literature review, did a little review. So community paramedicine was really developed in officially in 2005. Um, and it was interesting because it actually started in Halifax where you guys are. Um, hey, no there was a collaboration between Halifax and Nebraska, and they developed the international Roundtable on community paramedicine and what they're focused on, what community paramedics generally are focused on is these pillars of primary care outside of primary care. So for instance, our community paramedicine program here in BC has six pillars, community outreach and awareness, health promotion, community engagement, wellness clinics, wellness checks, and home health monitoring. Mm. Those are our primary um, community paramedic pillars. So within that, so home health monitoring is a system that TELUS Health has rolled out here, um, where a patient gets an iPad, a scale, an SpO2 monitor, and they basically track their kind of health and well-being. Um, wellness checks are in-home checks, doing safety assessments, collecting vitals, checking with patients, checking medications, um, what they're doing with that. Um, community awareness and outreach can be like naloxone training, stop the bleed training, CPR and schools and that sort of thing. Right. Um, yeah. So that's community paramedicine in a nutshell. But yeah, it varies province to province and, and in the States. It's, it's in like 17 countries when I did my literature review on it. Like it's, it's a very broad program, I guess, cool. but it's cool quite infant in its uh, development. Okay. I can't, I can't, uh, I just want to say that I really can't like stress enough, like how important some of those, some of those like community programs for like teaching yeah. people how to, how to respond adequately yeah. to a situation because yeah. I remember growing up and thinking like, you know, why do I need to do my St. John's ambulance training program and whatever? And I, and, and I always thought like, when am I ever going to be in that situation? And the, like, Lo and behold, until, you know, Brian <laughs> and I find a guy who's, who's yeah. OD'd in, in a bathroom, in an airport bathroom. And we've got to, we've got to 
try and save this guy's life while waiting for, you know, the professionals to arrive and going, huh, that does happen. That's why. I've done CPR three, well, one time didn't do it when I should have. The other time did it when I should have, and then one time did it when I shouldn't have. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so, so Brian needs training like, so that yeah. he knows exactly when and when not to do it. But I've had and I've and I've done the training, but haven't done it recently enough. Like I haven't yeah. re-upped on on some of that training, which is like again just goes to echo your point, Tay. Like it's it's, it's super important. fucking. It's something important. that you think you might yeah. never. You know, it's something that's really easy to think I'll never be in that situation mm-hmm. until you are, and it's yeah. important. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like when when people have to do it for their job, or whatever, and and you know you always. You oftentimes get that like, oh, gotta go, gotta go do my CPR training. I'm fucking waste my waste of my Wednesday afternoon. Won't be rolling your eyes when when the moment arises when you go. Thank God I did. You that might training. not need it at your job. You might just need it. You might when just need it at taking, the mall when you're taking yeah. the red eye. And especially <clears throat> like if it's a family member. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you need to use them. Like um, it, all right, so that's community paramedicine. What about? Uh, and this one, I mean, seems pretty uh, self-explanatory, but but again. Uh, I'm a nincompoop, so so I'm sure there's a lot to this, a lot more to this than than meets the eye. In home treatment, yeah. So, so in home care. So here in BC, um, that's it's been kind of evolving as the program evolves, um, and there's like just recent changes that are rolling out as we speak. Um, so, for instance, one of the big things that they've started is um, ECG acquisition, so electrocardiogram. Um, where they hook up all the little sticky things on you and they collect your little heart rhythm. So that's one thing that's rolling out to community paramedicine now. Um, Just doing in-home visits with people. Like, you know, a lot of these people, so the primary population that's targeted in the community paramedicine program is older people with chronic conditions, vulnerable people, lonely people. That's that's the core group of focus. Mm. So just getting into the home sitting down with them, having a conversation and just talking with them for 45 minutes instead of the doctor, you know, the seven minutes the doctor has is huge. And paramedics are kind of uniquely positioned because we take not only this, you know, psychosocial approach, I would say is like looking at everything, but we also like, we're very spatially aware people typically. If, if you you don't, don't want to get hurt in this job, you have to know what's going on all around you. Mm. And that's where like I've walked into houses and I've seen, you know, there's like six carpets on the floor and I'm like, this is a tripping hazard waiting to happen. Like, no wonder you've fallen seven times in the last year. Like Ooh. those sorts of things are what community paramedics are even more tailored to pick up on. Mm-hmm. And then going to washrooms and just seeing like, oh, should there be handles here? Or should there be this? Or should there be that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which like none of that would be caught by just going to your GP at the hospital. Like the, yeah. they don't know. They don't know. They're not in the house. They're yeah. not in in the home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's almost like a bit of like what an occupational therapist does at the same time too yeah yeah we'll never uh, claim to be ot's but no, <laughs> they're wonderful people are, are you the type of person who like when you walk into like a dingy dive bar in the evening like you want to sit at the table in the corner with your back to the wall you want to know where all the exits are at. like is that the type of person that you would be <laughs> i mean i don't go out to eat much i don't i'm pretty spatially aware <laughs> yeah like 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 secret agents yeah, yeah exactly very, very, very much so andrew when you say um when you say lonely people in that in, in the in those in those categories of people like, by that do you do you mean like somebody who might not necessarily be like vulnerable from a health perspective or or uh, but but that that they would be less likely to be able to 
like have support if they were to have an event where they needed, you know, medical attention or, 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 or somebody to kind of look out for them. Yeah, exactly. Those. So how the, how you get into the CP program is a referral from a primary care provider. So you, let's say a nurse practitioner, so nurse practitioners, doctors, even nurses now can refer patients to the CP program. Um, so basically if they identify a patient that is living alone or that it like, so the CP program in BC is, is exclusively in rural areas. They are there's smatterings of this urban CP program that I've been hearing about, which I think is really exciting, but it's all rural. So basically communities under 5,000 people in the majority of cases. So, Mm -hmm. and in some of these communities and some of these people, and that, that came out of my research was like, some of these people don't even have a phone or internet or anything. So they are alone. Like their their vulnerability comes from their like lack of, of connection. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, has there been, uh, in terms of like, it sounds like these programs are sort of reliant on education for nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, and making sure that they're aware that this program, these types of programs exist. Has there been a big uptake in, in people using services like this, or has it been hard to educate them that these types of services are available? Yeah. So what I can say is like, there was a huge uptake at the beginning of the pandemic because everybody was locked in their houses and people were scared to even go to the clinic. And there was a huge, huge um, influx of patients into the CP program, um, which was great. And that, but it, uh, you know, I think that that was one of the areas. And and when I did the research, like that was one of the things that came up is like, Mm unless the CP is taking tr- like tremendous initiative to go into the interprofessional team meetings, which most clinics or health centers have, you know, every week or whatever, um, where they sit down with everybody comes together and says, let's make care plans for X, Y, and Z patient um, and engages in that way. The, how is anybody supposed to know? Like a lot of people don't even know what basic paramedics do. They think we're, you know, taxis to the hospital you know, let alone people who can do all these different things. Mm. So that education piece is huge and, and was one of the things that was a, and is a big focus for my knowledge translation out of this research. Mm. In terms of like how paramedics are, are utilized for, because one thing that struck me is that like mentioning that, you know, sometimes a, a somebody who's working in community paramedicine might go and spend, you know, 40 minutes with somebody who is, let's say lonely or, 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 or need some type of, uh, paramedical attention. Um, how, like, I think of, I think of Halifax, for example, and how sort of taxed our paramedics are in general and, and how we've heard in the news that, you know, it takes a really long time to get access to an ambulance, uh, in some cases, how are those roles sort of distributed and how do you, you make time for these types of things when it seems like in some instances the system can be so taxed or overwhelmed mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in BC, at least, um, our community paramedics are kind of a separate program from the emergency side of things, even though they are emergency trained paramedics and they can respond to those critical calls. So here in BC, we have a color system. So reds and purples are our most critical calls, life or limb threatening or 
um, cardiac or respiratory arrest calls. So paramedics, uh, CPs can respond to those types of calls, um, if even if they're doing their CP work, but they are typically assigned um, two, three, four days a week of CP work where they do their 10-hour shift, come in, do their CP work, and then, then they can pick up other shifts outside of that, on-call shifts or whatever. Cool. Um, what about, um, this is also something that I've never, that I, I have no idea what this means, clinical pathway treatment to clinics. <laughs> yeah. So this is a new program, um, here in BC, relatively new. Um, we call it our A-star, um, ass- assessment treatment on scene. So basically what it is, is like, there's certain, um, conditions that if patients, um, exhibit these symptoms or whatever, they fall into a certain categorization of this new scale that we have. Um, we're able to triage them, treat them, and then let them stay at home, um, in, in more rural areas. Like let's say somebody calls for a nosebleed is one of our examples. So in some cases, if we can judge that, you know, okay, we've dealt with the problem they're stable, their vitals are stable, everything is good. We're able to like sign off and say, no, you don't have to go to the hospital. Whereas in more urban centers, what they've been able to do is actually coordinate with the health authority to be like, okay, we can actually bring you to urgent care instead of bringing you to the eMERGE department and plug up the eMERGE. So that's a really cool program. We don't have that up north here, but uh, down south, they've been doing that. And it sounds like it's been wildly successful. Right. And And then finally, bypass to definitive care centers. Yeah. So this is a, this is a really cool program that, you know, we've, we've done some training on, and I know that there's some, some more work around trauma bypass. So basically in rural areas, one of the big things is like a lot of our hospitals are based on a level of trauma scale. So one, two, three, and four, I believe. Um, And then there's sub rankings within that. So basically different levels of care at different levels of hospitals. So at a rural clinic, you're not going to get definitive care. You're not going to get CT, you're not going to get anything. CT machines are spread out so widely. So in some cases, what we would do, so one of the big, one of the big bypasses for us, the main bypass is stroke bypass. So instead of stopping at a rural hospital or a local hospital, we can actually fly by them and get that person to the CT machine where the neurologist is so they can get definitive stroke treatment. And the other one that's they're developing out of is trauma treatment. So you know, the, the golden hour is kind of the, the rule. So if we can get somebody to definitive care in an hour, their likelihood of survival goes up like exponentially. Oh, wow. So we can, they're working on this of like being, able, I know that there's our medical director here in the North, he's been pushing this for years. And it, I think it's a great thing. If somebody gets in a major accident, let's get them to that definitive care. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. Are you allowed to, because it's my understanding that the speed limit of ambulances cap out at like 160 kilometers an hour <laughs> if you're if like if you have to get there and it, and and an hour is sort of like that that time limit that you're trying and to it's get 180 there 180 kilometers away yeah yeah like can you you know push yeah it push that nos so, button yeah <laughs> so is uh According to uh, BC Emergency Health Services, we can only do 25 over the posted speed limit. <laughs> okay. Oh wow! Even in like, even in like, even in like, like a uh, emergency situation, it's like that. That's the yeah. max. Oh wow! Wow. Lights and lights and oh, so the like by law, we can do whatever we want. Police, they can go 200 kilometers an hour down a highway. Sure. From my understanding, sure, sure, sure. But our employer then says we can only do twenty five over proposed. Right, 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 right. So, so you uh, that like makes sense. I, is it is it tracked? Like they're oh, tracking yeah. you. When oh you yeah, know? they actually. So our dispatchers they actually see 
like on their little screen, there's a little ambulance and it'll like blink at them if we have the lights on and it'll like blink red if we have the lights and sirens on. And then it'll tell them the exact speed we're going and it'll follow it on a map. Whoa. So that makes it really hard to just like, you're, you know, you know that it's there's really a lot of traffic in downtown Prince George and you want to get through it. Your, your dispatcher <laughs> is going to see that you've got so, your lights on. You're not responding to a call. Yeah. And then you're going to yeah. be in trouble. Right. And, the, and, then, the and then see you pulling like into the Timmy's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Abuse uh, of power. Um, <laughs> so, so Andrew, you've been, you've been, uh, you've been a paramedic for, for coming up, coming up on four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you get asked this question a ton and totally understandable if, if, you know, uh, if, if you aren't able to answer this question, but um, I'm, I'm curious to know like what it, over the over the almost four years that you've been doing this, like what's the what's the wildest call you've ever been on? Yeah, so um, I, I can share a few things, um, but not not any obviously patient details. Sure. Um, so I would say probably the the one that always sticks out there. There's a couple. The, the one that sticks out to me is delivering a baby um, on on the side of a highway whoa, whoa. Um, in the back of an ambulance, whoa. and it was a premature baby. Um, it was a breached baby, so came out feet first. Oh my god! Um, and it was an extremely complex birth. Um, yeah. And like, all I can say is like that having that experience. Like, I was so privileged to work with a team like of of paramedics from my station. Like, there was three of us in the back. Um, you know, they 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 had a lot of experience. Um, and they had delivered a few babies before, but nothing quite that complex. And then as well, we were very well supported with a critical care paramedic on the phone and a, a doctor on the phone as well, wow. talking us through that. But that, that was one of those cases where I was like, wow, this is, this is something. All right. But what a privilege. And, and the baby was happy and healthy. Um, but oh, yeah, awesome. very complex situation. <laughs> like, like in terms of training for paramedicine, mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I, I went to theater school, so I, I'm just, I'm just picturing like, all right, I went it's to theater school for four years. Similar, similar. Trained how to be yeah. an actor. Mm-hmm. I can like, I can, I, the, the thought of getting on, on, on a stage in front of like a thousand people, um, I can keep my cool. I can keep my, my calm, like demeanor in that situation. My well, heart you could convince pretty much anybody that you are a total totally hundred percent hundred percent yeah and so and so like i can wrap my head around that situation which like a lot of people would think i would shit my pants in front of a thousand people on stage um so so i've got that figured out but but now i'm, I'm trying to take like that training and and putting myself in the back of an ambulance racing down the highway no more than 25 kilometers per hour over the speed limit and and delivering a baby a breached baby at that uh premature breach baby I, I don't know if I could keep my cool in that scenario. I no, I know that I couldn't. I think I, I would kind of lose it. Dude, you should have seen Brian and I in that bathroom in the airport. We were yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> calm. so so my question is like like is there is there direct specific training um within within paramedicine th- to like teach you how to stay cool, calm, and collected in a an ex- an extraordinarily chaotic event like what you just described or like rolling up on a, you know, horrific car accident or whatever the, whatever the emergency might be. Like how, how do they train you to, to keep a cool head in, in, in a scenario that is so high intensity? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there is, there is a little bit of training around that. Um, but I would say much of it is developed. Um, right. You develop it throughout your career. Um, but yeah, like I say, like there are no, like my employer, they offer a ton of courses that I've been able to take. Um, international trauma life support. Um, we have a death and dying course on how to deliver, you know, a, a death notification, like all these different courses that, mm. you know, and obviously our training, you know, they try to prepare you in the best way possible um, for a lot of these situations. But again, it's, it's very much, and like there are, you know, there's a certain level of um, uh, mentoring that has to go along with your training and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's it, but it is very much something that, you know, a lot of paramedics, I think, develop throughout their career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, like those situations, it doesn't matter how much training you have, you're still going to be stressed like that one, you know, delivering a baby that you have to have that environment so warm. So it's like 30 degrees in the back, we're all in plastic gowns, sweating like crazy. But yet we're trying to stay so calm or at least present a presentation of calmness Ooh, mm-hmm, yeah. while the adrenaline is just rushing through your system. Yeah. So. I, have a, I have a suggestion. Do you, would, you, would you guys want to hear it? Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I feel like um, this could be this could be training for intense situations, but also could also be a good team building exercise. So you get your whole team gets together. You go to like a six, whatever, wherever the nearest six flags is. And yeah. you get on the, you get on the craziest roller coaster that they have. And you can only stop riding the roller coaster once it's no longer exciting for you. So you roll, <laughs> you have to right. ride the yeah. roller coaster over and over and over again until you get completely desensitized yeah. to the chaos. And you have to ride it. it without being strapped in. That's yeah. A, yeah. 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 That's yeah. a really good and idea. Th- and then once you go out on the road and you're out there, you know, responding to calls and everything it's just like well nothing's as intense as, as riding as a just roller holding on for dear life on a roller coaster like that you're not times. strapped into right exactly speaking of your yeah. um good yeah. ideas tay i think that's a great one Thank and you. uh i know you were you were telling us jerry and i about this right before we started recording mm-hmm. so i'll ask andrew for you true um taylor has this thing okay. where when an ambulance um has its lights on and it's driving by um taylor said it's a good hack to just follow behind the ambulance <laughs> to get to where we were going faster. At a, at a reasonably safe distance. So, and so I'm wondering. Andrew's so annoyed. I'm wondering, because Taylor says everybody does this, and I'm just no. wondering how many people follow closely No, I said not enough a- people do it. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> For the love of God, don't. Yeah, For don't your own safety. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I don't think I have to say this, but I'm just fucking kidding. Yeah, no, no. And... <laughs> On, on the roller coaster thing, I'm actually terrified of roller coasters. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. This, so this is exactly for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I can only, I, I'm pretty sure BC EHS is definitely going to uh, add that to their curriculum. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. where, where would be the, the closest roller coaster in Northern BC? I don't even know. They're going to have to make one. Um, let's, uh, Andrew, let's talk about your research a little bit. So, so mm-hmm. you, you're, you're, it, you're doing your master's, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, what are you doing your master's on specifically? Yeah. So like the master's uh, program at UNBC, the university of Northern BC here in Prince George um, is based. So it's a, it's very much around community health um, is kind of the focus and what, what I've been interested in. So when I did my undergrad, my focus of my undergrad was in community and population health with a sub-focus in Aboriginal and rural um, studies. So that kind of got me started on this whole kick of, uh, you know, you know, community-based care and that sort of thing. And I come from kind of a background of like, I was a science fair kid um, doing, doing research, particularly around diabetes care and management, um, Mm -hmm. 
because I saw some of the inequalities that rural and remote areas were facing with family members, with friends, seeing that the lack of continuity and care among, you know, and this is no no bad speak against locum doctors or anything like that, but they just don't have the ability to always provide the continuity of care that people manage in chronic conditions need. So particularly with like diabetics who are having to check their A1Cs every, you know, three or six months um, to adjust medications or whatever, um, the, the continuity of care is not there. So how can somebody effectively manage a condition if they can't get the medical care that they need to support that? So my whole premise around this started with that and looking at, you know, people managing their conditions and then transitioned to this because I became interested in how do providers or how do healthcare systems perceive their program providing care to people? So I've done research with nurse practitioners on care and management uh, in primary care settings. Um, my previous work was around uh, a, a First Nations health organization who takes care of a bunch of member nations here in the area and looking at their diabetes care and management program from the perspective of everybody working in a clinic. So I interviewed everybody from the addictions counselor to the office manager, to the community health rep, to the doc, to everybody and looking at that. And then when I, you know, came into paramedicine, I saw the CP program. And as I mentioned, I, I come from kind of a family of paramedics. Um, and my aunt at the time, um, was a community paramedic or just becoming a community paramedic. Hmm. So talking to her about the program and seeing kind of the, the adaptation and the development of the program and seeing how far it could stretch and what they were doing was what got me interested Hmm. in it. So this project was focused on the perspectives of community paramedics on the care and management of chronic conditions for in particular. So diabetes, COPD, um, can, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, congestive heart failure, CHF, and hypertension. Um, So basically what I wanted to explore was how do they perceive that program making a change? What's the status of those conditions in rural and remote areas across BC? And then the impacts of COVID on their practice as a CP. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Like when you say, um, um, uh, Oh my God, dude, that came to me and escaped me in the same breath. The, uh, well, I was, I was curious, like when you're interviewing them, what types of questions are you asking? Yeah. So like the, the interviews, um, so that, that's a whole other aspect of it. So I do, um, pretty much exclusively interview based, um, collection, just having conversations with people. So I, I, I appreciate statistics and numbers and and, and people who do quantitative research work, it's it's a, it's an artwork in, in itself. But what I really think is important is returning back to the idea of having conversations, like what you guys are doing, and, and talking to people, engaging with people, and telling people stories. Because if we don't engage with people mm-hmm. at the core, with the boots on the ground, how are we ever going to know what's going on in the system? So mm-hmm. that's, that's where this research came in. So I ask questions like, how do you like what how are your clients managing their chronic conditions what have you done throughout this covid pandemic in order to meet the needs of clients how do you perceive clients receiving the treatment that you've you've provided um what recommendations do you have for future practice or scope or education um these sorts of things so do, yeah. do you did you identify were you able to identify like some very obvious blind spots in mm. in oh. the in the uh, care process? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like there were certainly some areas that, you know, not, not only like that CPs are, that are focusing on and that are, you know, obviously have improved with the program, but also areas that we should be focusing on into the future um, for sure. And like kind of the big things were like, you know, the, this, there have been, so one of the big things is like the status of rural and remote. If you, if we want to get into that, yeah. um, the status of rural and remote health in BC, though, we've seen some f- significant initiatives that they've rolled out um, and, and really tried to promote this, you know, increasing understanding, increasing accessibility to care, sustainable care. There are still some big gaps and, you know, the, just that ability to access care with a lot of these rural or remote areas where people have to travel sometimes hundreds of kilometers just to access their doctor mm-hmm. um, or labs. Labs is a big thing. Um, like there were people living in rural communities that had to travel 200 kilometers just to get basic lab work done. Yeah, right. Um, which for a diabetic has to be done every three to six months. Yeah. That's a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, talking about the collaboration within the primary care team. So bringing people in because, again, access to specialized healthcare. Like if a rural community has an OT or a PT, an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist, it's a miracle. Like it's amazing. So we, but nowadays with the Zoom or any the telehealth, yeah. we can totally engage with these people. So bringing interprofessional teams together, building them for patients is huge and it's critical. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Yeah, that was, I mean, my next question was going to be like, like where, where do you see the future of telehealth and, like, and, and how do you see telehealth being? Because I, I feel like we, we've, talked about, we've talked about this notion of telehealth a few times on the, on the podcast. And, and um, I think it, it, it came up when, when I was laughing with the guys saying that, oh, like um, the CF clinic here in Halifax has now introduced email to, yeah, yeah. to the, to, yeah. to, to its patients. And it's 2020 at that time it was 2021. And, and, you know, like this notion of telehealth, it seems like the healthcare system in Canada in general is kind of stuck in the, in the stone ages when it comes to utilizing technology and through through experiencing COVID, you know, there was a there was a very big realization for I think a lot of people not not just people in the in the world of healthcare, but like pretty much everyone across the country, no matter what your job is, that technology the the tech the infrastructure of the technology exists for us to be productive without having to um, rely on the same methods of which we you know we relied on to to provide ourselves provide the you know the services that we're trying to provide so i'm wondering like what like how how long do you think it's going to take to introduce these methods of telehealth into 
into the the healthcare infrastructure in order to help these people that are living in communities that aren't in Vancouver that are you know that that need to unfortunately drive 200 kilometers just just to do things like lab work like how 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 close are we getting to a future where technology actually is going to just get us closer to, to providing care to the people that need it yeah i and honestly i think we're getting really close i think if, if if we're getting really close if we're not there in a lot of our communities in bc so cps adopted like when covid hit cps because the in-home visits kind of went out the window of protecting these vulnerable people they turned to virtual care telephone zoom calls facetime all these sorts of things um and as well like in bc we have the home health monitoring program which is huge for people with chronic conditions just to be able to you know check in regularly mm-hmm. every day or every second day and you know in my previous work with the um with carrier Sakani family services um the first nations um organization that does the health delivery they have implemented telehealth tremendously and there's a number of videos out online that telus has partnered with them you know directly getting internet access into these remote communities mm-hmm checking in with physicians, checking in with different specialists and that sort of thing. It's it, There's some really cool work. I know one of the doctors that I, I've, I've kind of grew up with, um, Dr. John Polovich, who was in Fraser Lake, is now out of Vancouver. He um, works directly with Kerry Sukani and he's their medical lead. And he has done tremendous work with TELUS Health on that. Mm. What, so what, I think I think we're getting close. One thing that sound, that's, that's been pretty striking to me is that it sounds like um, in the world of of community paramedicine that there's a lot of like new innovative initiatives happening. And I'm curious if like, like why, why does it seem that community paramedicine is so innovative? Whereas, you know, it seems like as Jared was alluding to, like, you know, much of the healthcare system is sort of stuck in the past. Is it, is there sort of things, um, uh, within the system that allow it or enable it to be more innovative? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like, I think um, and you hit the nail right on the head with with it being so young, it's it's in its infancy. That's mm-hmm. that's the big reason why there are very few boxes around it. Whereas some of our primary care systems like like I'm I'm sure I've heard it. I've heard it on Dr. Goldman's like white coat black art or yeah. even the dose about siloing like healthcare is so siloed up and everybody has their little box and that's how they function. But with mm. community paramedicine, there is no silo with it already because it's mm. so young. Like mm. we, there is no box, there is no restraint. It's it's all based on the license level that the person carries, and if that license level allows them to do it, well, why don't we try? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's where I think one of the big adaptations is, and I mean, like BC Emergency Health Services as an organization, I think is kind of uniquely positioned as they are a provincially based system. They're not on a local level because like reading some of the studies out of the States, like a lot of the community paramedics are based on the County. Well, the mm. County is like maybe a hundred thousand people. And how much of a program can you develop out of that? Whereas BC, you have a whole province to, to play around with in a right. sense, not, not to sound professional, but they can, they can trial so many different things and have so many different things and see how this system works. So I think that that's where a lot of the innovation has come out of and right. just having good forward thinking directors. Are Mm. are there other provinces that do it like BC is doing it right now? Or is BC pretty unique in that sense? 
so BC is pretty unique. Um, there are like, Alberta does have Alberta Health Services that delivers care in a lot of the communities, but there is a kind of a private contract side of things as well. Um, and I think Saskatchewan has a provincial service, but again, it's kind of a little bit different. Everybody's a little bit different. BC has really been the innovator in that. And cool. I mean, a lot of our leaders have come out of, you know, the London ambulance service, which is amazing, amazing service. If you ever watch like London 911 or something like that, it's an amazing service. They have like an eight minute response time. Like it's incredible. Is that like what- Grey's Anatomy? Well, it's in real life, though. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And, okay. Crazy. I mean, like even BC, if you want to see like the BC paramedic system, you can actually there there is a BC paramedic show that's out there. I think it's is Life that, on the Line. Man, were we talking about this recently? Where like I think we were, we're talking, talking about, about like on the, on the pe- Patreon call, people sitting around listening into like the police yeah. scanners and yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> um, uh, I I another thing that that has come up on the show uh, in the past, and oftentimes it's it's been linked to. Uh, episodes where we focus specifically on PTSD, um, specifically PTSD um, that is that is suffered by from people who work in emergency care. Um, we've 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 covered uh, PTSD with um, you know SWAT team members and PTSD from paramedics. Um, uh, one of the things that I that I'm curious about to hear your thoughts on, especially because you're so you are so uh relatively young in terms of like your career as a, as a paramedic um the the notion of burnout and like what what kinds of services are offered in particular in BC to folks like yourself who are in this job that is very high stress that is very you know demanding um and and is there like do you feel like there's there's enough services out there that exists that can help folks like yourself who inevitably will like eventually face burnout at some point or, or at least grapple with that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like it's, it's no secret that it's, it's prevalent. And I think coming out of COVID, especially like across the healthcare system, we're going to see this yeah. where we're already seeing it. Um, yeah. But what I will say is like, I am proud to work for an organization um, and I'm not just trying to toot their horn, but that has taken such a stance, a strong stance on mental health support. Mm. Literally last week, our app, they, they our critical incident stress team, which we have established within the organization of a bunch of peers, mental health support people, psychiatrists, psychologists that have rolled into this team that have designed this app in order for us to check in before our shift, after our shift. Mm. Um, we can access support immediately if something happens. We like we have access to a psychologist who's directly on call at 24 hours a day, oh, or wow. we have counseling care. Our critical incident stress team will check in with us. Even if we don't request it, they, they will check in with us out after certain calls are flagged wow. um, the next day. Like I, I'm so proud of this organization for taking such a strong stance. And I mean, paramedicine in general, I think has developed a, a much they're much more aware of it mm-hmm. and dealing with it and dealing with it in ways that the employees are actually going to engage with because mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is like you can roll out a hundred different programs coloring books give give everybody a coloring book to de-stress well i'm not a coloring book guy i mm-hmm. you know so doing programs that actually make a difference for people and that people want is huge so that's mm-hmm. what i think that they've done a tremendous job of doing the- and yeah do you feel like there's a culture of like openness amongst your colleagues too, where, where you can 
yeah, where you can openly discuss the experiences that you go through. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, it's definitely changing. Um, I think that that's something that was around, like even when I, not, not when I started as a paramedic, but I think when I started in fire, cause I started, like, I've been in this field for probably about, I don't know, what is it? Eight years now, five mm-hmm. or nine years. Um, like I started in fire. And I think even from when I started in fire to now, the, the culture of that is changing dramatically. Like mm-hmm. the, the old pull up your bootstraps and stop being a sissy is, is, is gone. It's, yeah. you know, if, if, you know, like I know I do bumper check-ins and that's one of the big things they, they, they promote um, within the organization. We're really good at it. Like after a call could be the most mundane call, but there's something in that, that triggers you. Um, the smell, the something you saw, just mm-hmm. these little tiny things that sometimes just trigger you. Um, but in just sitting down with your partner at the end of the call, Hey, how you doing? You okay? Mm-hmm. You good? Are you ready to clear? You want to do another one? You want to take a break? You want some food? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Is a bumper check-in like you're you're just standing at the bumper of the vehicle, just chatting? Basically, yeah, okay. <laughs> we're in the front. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Where, wherever there's a bumper. <laughs> yeah, wherever. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to like a tailgate party. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except without the booze. Yeah. <laughs> something something, something like really interesting that, yeah, that uh, another thing that's really stood out to me during this conversation is, is like, I imagine that if you ask a hundred, you know, junior high students to draw a picture of a paramedic, that probably 99 of them would draw the paramedic with an ambulance. And <laughs> I'm realizing that paramedicine is so much mm-hmm. more than, mm-hmm. you know, working as a paramedic on an ambulance. So um yeah thanks thanks a lot for Mm -hmm. shedding a light on that yeah Yeah. i i'm i'm curious to know what your like aspirations are for the future um you know you're 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 in paramedicine now you're also completing your master's um do you do you have plans for the future of like where you would like to see yourself go and grow in terms of this career yeah like i mean i i'd like I really enjoy the world of paramedicine. Um, it's it's something that I've always loved, and it's been that little bit of a balance between book study and then having that little bit of excitement in my life. It's always a nice balance. So I think it's always going to be part of my life in some way. Um, but like in terms of like my career, I'd love to get into research in paramedicine um, or, or you know something in the emergency services field, especially if it's related to chronic illness management, because that's that's really where my passion stands is like, how can we improve the healthcare services that rural and remote residents are receiving um, and, and ensure that, you know, they, they have the supports and tools they need to effectively manage their conditions and live a healthy life because mm. there's nothing worse than showing up to somebody who's just suffering in a situation. So that's, that's really where I stand. And I, you know, I'd love to continue the practice of helping people in their time of need, because I really find it to be a privilege. It's, it's incredibly rewarding. <laughs> um, and it's it's something that I I love doing, um, but yeah, something something in the world of the research with paramedicine, I'd I'd like to get into for sure. Cool. Well, Andrew, I gotta say, man, I'm I'm uh, <clears throat> eternally grateful that we've had an opportunity to meet you uh, through through these these monthly hangouts, and and super super happy that you took time out of your day to sit down with us and give us a glimpse into the world of paramedicine. It really does mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you guys. It's a privilege. It's uh, it, I'm so happy that I was able to share a little bit and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully people can walk away with a little bit more insight of what we do and how we do it. I think Absolutely. so. Yeah.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.